I want to start with um, uh, just some, a little bit of a summary of the world in which we live today. Though some may refuse to admit it, evil does exist in this world. It takes on many different forms and many different faces. From murderous people turning weapons on safe places like schools and churches, to riots in the streets, to terrorist acts, even groups like ISIS who seek to murder in the name of God. It includes kidnappings, racism, sex trafficking, which steals the innocence of young people, as well as the murder of millions of defenseless babies. It includes cruel dictators and leaders who manipulate and orchestrate the suffering of others for their own personal gains. These are the faces of evil in our world. It's what we've come to expect to hear about through the internet or through our nightly news. But the truth is that these people are not the source of such evil. Evil comes from the person of Satan. He is the one who is orchestrating all of this. He is the one who battles against humanity. And he is the one who we must prepare to fight against. The time has come for God's people to put on the full armor of God so that we can truly be prepared for battle, fighting against the real enemy and through the power of Jesus Christ, being well equipped to find victory. One of the places that I formerly pastored was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It is without a doubt one of the most beautiful places that I have ever lived but it is also incredibly unique as there are resources and people that you're unlikely to run into in any other place in the world. For example, because of the high altitude and thin air, it makes Colorado Springs a great place for the U.S. Olympic Training Center. As a result, we would often see these elite athletes running in preparation for their competitions. If you saw someone running down the road, there was a good likelihood they were either being chased or it was an Olympic athlete. Another example of this uniqueness is in the fact that there are multiple military installations and intelligence installations in Colorado Springs. I remember that we had a guy in our church who was stationed at NORAD. I won't mention his name, but he had a very specific job. He was in charge of the U.S. response to a biological warfare attack. To me, it sounds like he had a pretty important role. I always thought it was odd that his kids didn't even know what he did for a living. Every once in a while, he would just need someone to talk to about stuff. So we would go out to a local golf course turn the music up so that nobody else could hear what we had to say, and then he would share what was going on. I'm sure everybody appreciated the loud music on the golf course. That's actually a no-no normally. I served at that church from 2001 to 2004. That means that we're talking about during the attacks of September 11th, 2001. And while there is always the risk of some type of biological attack, 
Tensions were high as nobody knew how America might be attacked next. I remember a conversation one day as I shared concern about such an attack. My friend reassured me that although we had no idea what would be next, that the U.S. military was very much prepared. He shared that they had gone through all the simulations and scenarios and they were ready. He gave the image of a military that was not reactive, but rather one that was proactive, ready for whatever might come their way. I told you earlier that nobody knew what he did for a living. Even his kids didn't know what he did for a living. I remember one night we were in a small group that was in his home. And again, this is right after the attacks of September 11, 2001. And I remember one of the individuals in our small group began to talk about anthrax and how it could be distributed. And this particular individual who clearly knew what he was talking about, I'm talking about the friend who was in charge of the biological response, said, I don't think actually anthrax can be shared in that way. And the other individual cut him off real quick, said, no, you don't know. It's actually on the internet. You can see that it's out there. And, and of course, the internet is always true. My, my friend simply said, okay. I told him afterwards, I was so impressed at his ability to not put the guy in his place, because clearly he was the one individual who actually knew how it could be spread. In a similar manner, we must be proactive as we face spiritual battles. We can't wait until the battle comes to us. We need to prepare now. And we may not know exactly what Satan's next attack will look like, but we can be sure that whatever he may throw at us, we are equipped for victory already. Today I'm going to begin a new series entitled The Battlefront. The primary text that we will use comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. And if you want, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles already. As we see the importance of preparing for battle, there will be other verses that we will use, but Ephesians 6 gives us a strong foundation of what we ought to depend on. This is what it says, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know, last week I talked about the importance of us knowing who we are and whose we are. 
We are children of God and we clearly belong to God. Well, with that in mind, I want us to begin today with the idea that we must know the source of our strength. This passage begins with instructions for us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The point is that we cannot do this without God. You may be very strong, you may have a huge willpower, but you cannot do this without God. This isn't just a call for us to be strong, to muster up all the strength that we have. Instead, it is a realization that it is only through the mighty power of God that we can successfully stand against evil. On many occasions, I have pointed out that James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 teaches us on this. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What a great image for those who are in Christ. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But the truth is that the devil has no reason to flee from you, except for the fact that you are a child of God, and you belong to him. Submit yourselves to to God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. But it's this last verse, last line in James chapter 4 verse 8 that I want to point out to you today. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I can't help but think that James is writing this to the church. The church that existed in his day and time, yet I would actually say that it would apply to the church today. He sees within the church a group of people who want to draw near to God, yet there is a big part of them that still wants to hang on to their sin. They are double-minded. One minute they want God, and the next one they want something horribly ungodly. If this seems offensive to you, then you're going to need to get over it. I think I said that a couple weeks ago after I went too long. But if you're living that double-minded life of sometimes pursuing God and at other times pursuing selfish gain, then Satan has no reason to flee from you. You can say, well, but I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. But I go to church every Sunday. I even tithe. If you have not submitted yourself to God, if you have not drawn near to God, why would Satan need to flee from you? Understand that my purpose is not to accuse anybody or to be offensive here, but the reality is James is not telling us, say the magic prayer and Satan will flee from you. He's not saying become a tither and he will flee from you. He's not saying attend the church and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Now, resist the devil. He will flee. I'm not talking about the individual who perhaps has been a work in progress. You know what I'm talking about? 
the individual who gave their hearts to Christ, and they're still struggling with sin, but they're trying to move away, and they're becoming more and more like God, but sometimes that sin hangs on, and it's hard to let those things go, and it may take time to get rid of some of those things. I'm not talking about that, where the individual is continually progressing in their walk with Christ, but I fear that there are many in the church who have not truly surrendered themselves to him. Talking about the one who calls themselves a Christian, yet they still live like Christ is nothing more than a historical figure. In order to tap into the power of God that has been made available to us, we sinners must wash our hands. We must put away our double-minded ways. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ, but we can't have it both ways. This is the all-in mentality that we believe God has called us to. Either you're all in for Christ or you're not all in at all. So I call you first to know the source of your strength. If you get to know him well, you will have all that you need for the attacks that Satan will bring against you. The second thing we need to do in preparation for the battle is to recognize the enemy. The first one was to know the source of our strength. We also need to recognize the enemy. Our passage tells us that the reason we must put on the full armor of God is so that we can withstand the devil's schemes. And the one thing that you can trust in is that he will be scheming. I worked with a young man many years ago who struggled to tell the truth. A friend addressed it one day saying, you can always tell when he's lying because his lips are moving. Well, you can trust that Satan will always be scheming against humanity. We are warned in 1 Peter 5, 8 that we must stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. According to the scriptures, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Have I told you today that the intelligence community has confirmed an impending attack against you? Wouldn't you be concerned? If I told you that the individual who is going to issue this attack has been doing this for many years, and he's got a history of deception and theft and murder and overall destruction, wouldn't you be concerned? I'll tell you what I'd do. I would start by contacting my local police department. I'd try to get additional patrols stationed outside my house. I might even hire my own security detail, or maybe I'd even relocate, try to get into hiding somewhere in hopes that this criminal wouldn't be able to find me. What I wouldn't do is go about my life acting like everything is business as usual. Yet many Christians go about their daily lives not the slightest bit concerned about the devil's schemes. In moments like this, when the pastor is talking about it, we are aware of our vulnerabilities, but as time passes, we let our guard down. Some would say that our nation did that following the attacks of September 11th. I remember flying on an airplane less than a month after the attacks. We had to go to Orlando, Florida for a conference. I was greeted at the airport by armed soldiers and ridiculously tight security. Yet we wouldn't expect such extreme caution today. But I remind you, as 
Paul does in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Don't let your guard down. The devil is scheming, and he will do whatever he can to discourage or defeat humanity. So what can we do about it? Should we live in fear of it? No, but we should be prepared. In the coming weeks, we'll look at the full armor of God and why it is so important that we faithfully use each element of the armor. But before we do anything else, I want to call on you, just as Paul did in our passage today, I want to call on you to pray. Let me be clear regarding the reason. I told you earlier that you need to know the source of your strength. Well, it is in prayer that we get to personally interact with the source of our strength. Not only does he grant us the power to stand up against the evil schemes, but he also offers us fulfillment in a way that nobody else can do. Last Sunday night, I was talking with some of you. And I wonder if it wouldn't be good for all of us to hear what was being said. We were talking about the Israelites and their cyclical journey in Judges. By the way, it's not just in Judges. We see it all throughout their history, but specifically in Judges. And in Judges chapter 2, it gives us a little bit of a glimpse of that cyclical journey. They would faithfully serve the Lord for a time only to turn their back on God. And then when God's wrath would come upon them, they would cry out for his grace and he would redeem them, only to see the journey start up all over again. Saul made the following observation, it is so profound. The Israelites never truly understood their calling. God intended for them to be priests to all the nations, to make Israel a blessing to the entire world that was defined all the way back in Genesis. Instead, they repeatedly settled for selfish gains. They saw God as a resource to them rather than the one whom they genuinely lived for. In other words, they saw God as their genie in a bottle. We, we pull him out whenever we need something, regularly asking for his help, but they never truly found satisfaction in him or his plan for them for all of their lives. I want you to know today that God longs to be more than a source of strength for you. He longs to be more than a help in your moment of crisis. Sure, he will do all of those things in keeping with what we've been talking about already. He does want to be able to do those things for you, but he wants so much more. What he really wants is to be your everything. Maybe this goes back to the double-minded thing earlier. He doesn't want to be something that you put on and take off depending on your current situation. He wants you to find fulfillment in him and him alone. And as you do, he will be close so that when you do fight those battles, you can win. Let me close with a brief illustration. Obviously, a shorter message today just because uh, I wanted to make sure we were able to celebrate Pastor Dale and Cheryl. I was with a couple of young adults this weekend, and the conversation came up to 
Um, actually, they they were asking questions about whether or not marriage lasts anymore. You say, what does marriage have to do with this particular subject? Two young ladies, and they're talking about the fact that they have not seen anyone who truly is faithful in a marriage in years. To me, that breaks my heart to know that there is a world of people that have never seen a husband and a wife who have chosen to be committed to each other, that have chosen to be faithful to one another, that have chosen to walk through dark valleys and come out and still be together as one. They asked the question, if I've been faithful to my wife? Yes. How long have you been married? 25 years. One girl says, I don't believe you. Because I've never seen people who could stay married and stay happy and still love each other for 25 years. I'm going to tell you, my heart breaks for that young lady. My heart breaks for that generation. What is it that allows a couple, a husband and a wife, to remain faithful to each other for 25 years? Some of you have done it much longer than that. What is it that allows individuals to walk through those dark valleys and find strength and comfort and encouragement and walking together, staying faithful to one another? It is only the power of an almighty God. It is when we draw near to God, he draws near to us and he grants us the strength to stand up and fight. I know that many of you in this room, I'm looking and I see couples that have been married. Pastor Wiggins and Lois, how long have y'all been married? Man, you make me feel like a kid in many ways. (laughs) I know that the only thing that makes a marriage last like that is the presence of an almighty God. I use marriage as a point of reference here, but I want you to know that God is, the community around us is looking for people who really will be victorious. They, they want to see that. At the end of that conversation, those two young people walked away and said, thank you for something that we have not seen in years. I want you to know that there is a world of people that is dying to see what it's like to have God in their life. To see a people that will draw near to him and then see that he will draw near to them. And then see the incredible difference that they can make. I just want to challenge you today. God has called you to be faithful. God has called you to be fully surrendered to him. Submit yourselves to him. Not double-minded, not where I'm going to be faithful now and then I'm not going to be faithful down the road, but rather to choose today whom you will serve. Choose today, I will be faithful even if nobody else is. If I am the only one, it's okay because I'm going to be faithful to do that anyways. That's what God has called us to. We didn't even get into the discussion on the different parts of the armor today because to be honest with you, the first thing we must do is to submit ourselves to God. Begin with prayer. I'm going to challenge you as a church. 
We need to start right now. We have begun with our Wednesday night prayer meeting and what we call our Wednesday night Bible study. We want to be able to provide a prayer meeting on a regular basis so that individuals can come and pray. I believe that there is value in us doing discipleship, spending time in God's word. It's a great thing, but we need prayer. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to move in a mighty way in this nation. I know that this is a time where the church is praying because there's an election, but the truth is that the nation needs our prayer all the time. It's not just now because there's an election. We ought to be praying. You need that prayer. I need that prayer. Not just because there are specific needs, but because my relationship needs to grow. See, my interaction with God, when I pray with him on a regular basis, it is a beautiful thing. I need that prayer. You need that prayer. So I challenge you today to, first of all, pray. But I also challenge you with this. You need to decide today whether or not you are going to win the victory. You have challenges that are coming your way. You can't half-heartedly go through it and say, you know what, I'm, I think I'm going to be okay. No, I've made a decision. I'm going to be faithful. There is no, this time I'm going to be faithful and the next time I might not. We need to make sure that we are the church and we are the body that Christ called us to be so that the rest of the world can look at us and see that there is something different about us. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are grateful for who you are. But more than that, we are grateful for your grace. There have been many times that we have fallen short, but let it never be because we have not drawn near to you. Lord, I pray that each individual in this room today would truly submit themselves to you. I pray that right now in this moment, they would surrender their lives and that from this moment forward, they would live as people who genuinely are under your authority. Lord, I pray that you would help us to draw near to you so that we would begin to recognize your presence in our lives and then allow that to overflow into every aspect of our lives. Lord, I pray that marriages would be stronger and more faithful than they ever have been before. I pray that individuals would display more integrity in their workplaces than they ever have before. I pray that we would display a joy that doesn't make sense to the world around us and would... I pray that we would be able to proclaim that it is only because we have drawn near to you. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people that stand out in a broken world. Father, I thank you today for the the fact that we have this hope. Lord, I pray that from this moment forward, we would walk as those who truly do know our God. Give us victory. We know Satan's going to attack us. We know there are going to be things that come up that we don't like. There are going to be things that we wish didn't happen. But today we celebrate the fact that we serve an almighty, all-powerful God. We don't fear him, but we recognize his presence. Lord, I pray that by your power, we would find victory over him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I do thank you for being here. Specifically, I'm going to ask before we dismiss, if y'all would let Dale and Cheryl go out to the foyer. And that way, as you guys are leaving, you'll have the opportunity to greet them. Uh, we are going to have a time of fellowship for the Sunday school hour. It's a little bit different for us. Uh, a lot of times we'll still have Sunday school and then maybe do a meal after the service. Uh, so uh, that would usually be in the afternoon. We were a little bit hesitant to have everybody from both services all coming together in one place. So what we're going to do is there will be multiple stations throughout our facilities where individuals can stop and grab some desserts and refreshments and just fellowship with the body of Christ. There'll be individuals that'll be coming in who will be here for our later service as well. Uh, but we want to encourage you, if you can stay and fellowship and eat and just enjoy the company of the body of Christ, we would love to have you do that. Uh, that will technically start at... 10.30, so you got about 10 minutes. Thank you so much for being with us, and go in peace.